Hey there, and welcome to Living Through It, a podcast for interesting times. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a recovering lawyer, world-renowned leadership expert, and lifelong progressive activist and organizer. Reminder that if you want to listen to this podcast ad-free, you can head on over to patreon.com slash living through it. That's patreon.com slash living through it. You can get access to our entire back catalog ad-free there, and also we have some special bonuses for our most favored listeners. Thanks so much for being here. And now here's this week's episode. Hey, hey, it's election day. I really hope by now you've done your early voting or you've done your mail-in ballot. If you have not, please, please go vote. It's really important this year. This election is a make or break moment in American history, and it's more critical than it's ever been before that you vote, vote, vote for Democrats all the way down the ballot, vote for progressive candidates everywhere. We're going to talk more today about why this is so important with Nalini Stamp, who is the Director of Strategy and Partnerships for the Working Families Party. We are so glad that she is here. And we're going to talk about some of these really critical races around the country. So sit tight, buckle up. It's Election Day in America. And now let's talk to our guest. Okay, and welcome back to Living Through It. I'm so excited to welcome today, Election Day, Nalini Stamp, who is the Director of Strategy and Partnerships for the Working Families Party. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So um, so I've been familiar with Working Families for quite a while right now. I think the first time I was introduced to you all was... I think even back before Malcolm ran for office and I was Malcolm Kenyatta, that is, who was our first guest on the podcast ever. Um, I, I, I know that that was, I was even late to the party for WFP because you guys have been around for a while. Um, and, uh, and so I think maybe we should just start with, uh, I don't know, tell us a little bit about your story, which is kind of a fascinating trajectory. I'm interested in how you landed at WFP and, uh, and all of that, because you've got a, a long and storied history. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, and my dad is an immigrant from Belize. Uh, My mom's family is from Puerto Rico. And I, you know, I thought I was going to be on Broadway. I thought I was going to be in, in the, you know, in the movie pictures. Um, I went to performing arts high school, the fame school, you know, I'm going to live forever Um, (laughs) and really thought that I was just going to be famous. You know, Um, um, I had a good, you know, I was in movies when I was a kid. I was actually a a working actress. I always say that like I was a union member when I was six before I even knew what unions were. And really when I was in high school, I realized that like my mom couldn't get, I couldn't get a financial aid grant because at the time marriage equality wasn't legal. And so they saw my mom's partner as just being somebody in the household, but my mom's partner had multiple sclerosis and didn't have a job. So they thought my mom's 60,000 year salary could afford for me to go to college. Um, even though she was raising, you know, well, not raising, but taking care of a full human being and being responsible for three people in the household, as opposed to two, even at that time in 2005, like $60,000 was still not enough for college. Like let alone in New York city. I mean, I'm, I lived in Brooklyn for like a decade and, you know, I left because it was so expensive then. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was expensive then. It's way more expensive now. Um, and I started working retail. Um, I dropped out of high school, started working retail 
Um, my grades weren't that good either. It was just a lot of things that were just kind of had me down and out. And I was like, well, I thought I was supposed to work hard and be able to get things right. Like that was the American dream that I was told. And one day I was working at uh, Macy's and I was working at the Staten Island mall and uh, they were like, they were like new signs are coming up. Like minimum wages have been raised. And I was like, what? And I was just like, who did this? And I like looked it up. I think I like, asked Jeeves or something because I don't think it was like there was Google, but there wasn't like Google now, like go Google it. Um, and, you know, I found out about the Working Families Party. Um, so this is around 2006, 2005, 2006, when the New York State minimum wage went up and that like actually affected my day-to-day life. You know, it was like $5 and then it went up to seven, you know, seven fifteen in the state of New York. And then it went up federally. Um, so I had heard about the working families party, but in 2008, I was just like every young person, like hope change, you know, all of the things that were inspired by Obama's presidential run. And I found, you know, I started working, knocking on doors for the working families party then, and was super, was just like, it was the first place that I really was able to learn. I didn't feel like, I felt like the party always meets people where they're at. Um, doesn't expect people to kind of just like know everything, but also doesn't expect people to know, like to just like fully be as they, we call these days woke. Um, so I just, yeah, I started working for the working families party in New York then. And, you know, learned that we had a ballot line actually learned like all of these things that, I had not known. And so, yeah, I just like stuck with it. And it's just been, you know, 14 years of amazing political organizing and an amazing trajectory. Yeah, it's such a great story. And I'll tell you, you know, Working Families Party for me, every every interaction that I've had with you guys, whether it's been, you know, doing a, a phone banking or a text banking kind of situation, you know, my experience with you guys has been so welcoming and so warm. And I know that's a part of what you're all about is that there's room for everybody in the movement. It's like the great Mariam Kava says, you know, welcome to the movement. However late you might or early you might have arrived to it, the welcome imp- is important. Um, I uh, I'm interested to have you share a little bit about what Working Families stands for, because I know that the growth trajectory has been enormous over the last three to four years in particular. Uh, But I want to make sure that our audience, if they're unfamiliar with Working Families, knows what you guys are all about because the platform is is so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll like walk us through a brief history of the Working Families Party. So, you know, the Working Families Party was founded in 1998 in the state of New York by community organizations and labor unions because they wanted to figure out how to build a different kind of party, but obviously working within the two-party system because, you know, the United States, unlike a lot of other countries, it's it's first past the post. So the first elected to get 50 plus 1% usually wins an election. And we're different. Like in the United States, in the UK, for instance, although that is a, a really weird comparison to make right now, being that they've gone through five prime ministers in the last four years. Um, but, you know, you vote mm-hmm. for the party. You don't vote for an individual. And in the United States, it's different, right? You do, you are, you are voting for an individual. It's, and we do not have proportional representation. We have districts that are created. So, you know, there is a law which used to be legal everywhere in the United States that allows a candidate to appear on multiple ballot lines. And so that means, you know, for instance, in 2020, Kamala Harris and Joseph R. Biden were on the Working Families Party ballot line. It added to their total and about almost half a million people voted for them on our ballot line. So, you know, so we were like, how do we actually, you know, say, look, the two party system is the two party system. And, you know, we're not going to be able to change that overnight. I would love to. 
you know, like I will celebrate the day mm-hmm. that the two party system is behind us. Um, I will mm-hmm. really rock on the graves of, you know, the old two party system, <laughs> but, um, you know, we, so that was like our origin story, which is, which was in states where fusion voting, that's like that specific mechanism that we would expand to. And then in 2009, we saw the Tea Party grow really, really big. And the Tea Party was a movement of people who were using the electoral process to say, you know, these are not the type of Republicans. Unfortunately, they they were more right leaning and have, uh, you know, paved the way for what we are seeing as the far right has taken over basically the, you know, the, the Republican party. Um, And so we were like, wait a second, we don't have to always have a ballot line to have a place where people feel like they are a political home that working people can actually run and be in charge of. Um, And so I we always say that we like to we're like trying to create America's first party that like is run by and in not just consultation with, but really deep alignment with working class communities um, across race. (laughs) Um, and that we are, you know, trying to really push for a multiracial democracy, one that we haven't seen in the United States since, since ever, since ever. ever, Right. Um, so yeah, so that's like, you know, about us. And I think that we're, we're also a party that like under acknowledges that like this country was built on the backs of genocide of indigenous people and obviously enslaving Africans. And I think that it's really important that we always, we have always carried a lens of race and economics, obviously gender as well. Um, but those kind of two kind of like, like original sins of the United States as a country, right? Um, and we want to have a world where, yeah, we can actually live in a multiracial democracy where people don't have to worry living paycheck to paycheck or whether their communities are safe or not. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's and, and I have to say that um, the great thing for me about sort of following working families for the last few years has been the way in which we're seeing more and more of those principles lived out by the candidates that you all are endorsing. Um, And, you know, I followed a lot of these races, including the local ones, um, with a lot of interest and a lot of hope because the traction is big. And even in cases where certain candidates have not won, the message is getting out there. And, you know, the arc is hopefully bending in the direction that we would all like to see it bend. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the candidates that you're most excited about. You know, today is election day, the day this episode is dropping. Um, And I know you guys have some really strong endorsements out there, both on the on the local level, but also on the national level. And so I'm curious for you to share a little bit about those folks, because obviously I should say this. I'm going to say it all the time around this. But, um, you know, we need to. We need to get out the vote today, 100%. <laughs> if you haven't voted yet, you're listening to this on the morning of election day, please go vote. Stay in line till the end. <laughs> Stay, if you're listening to this in line to vote, do not leave the line. Um, but yeah, it's, why don't you share a little bit about some of the candidates that WFP has endorsed that you're the most excited about? Oh yeah. So we have a whole host of candidates that we are are most excited about, but I'll just like name a few. One in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, uh, which, you know, Pennsylvania is my new home Commonwealth and state that I have adopted over the last few years. We have Summer Lee, um, who is running and, you know, you would think a safe uh, democratic district in Pittsburgh, but unfortunately, see, unfortunately, somebody with the same exact name, Mike Doyle is a Republican. Mike Doyle used to be the representative there. So actually people are very confused. They're like, oh, this guy's like, so, you know, it's, it's the name recognition is not there and not realizing Mike Doyle's not running again. So, um, but there is a 
other person named Mike Doyle that is a Republican. So we're excited about um, Summer Lee's race. Um, we are super, super excited about, you know, Working Families Party member and um, activist and leader Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, who is running for U.S. Senate. He's the current lieutenant governor, the first black lieutenant governor of the state of Wisconsin, I believe, ever. And he's running to unseat Ron Johnson, who, as folks know, was an insurrectionist on, you know, in the January 6th, had like, you know, believed to this day is like, well, you know, they weren't dangerous or violent, even though people died and there was a violent uprising. Um, So, you know, it's really, really excited about that in Oregon and Oregon five, um, Jamie McCloyd Skinner, we beat a, you know, one of the most obstructionist Democrats um, to the like democratic agenda, um, Kurt Schrader, who was kind of like the mini Joe Manchin, right in the house. And we beat him with Jamie McCloyd Skinner, who is, you know, a working class LGBTQ identified individual who is fighting for working families in, in Oregon. And this is like a close race. So I'm really Oregonians. If you're out there and you're listening today, please just stay in line. I go vote in Oregon five for Jamie McCoy Skinner. And I would say the other, you know, the other race that we're really excited about is Michelle Vallejo in Texas 15, also for Congress. And we are clearly looking at uh, state legislative races across the country in Arizona. If you're in Arizona, you have the chance today to vote for the Arizona Corporate Commission, which actually can regulate corporations on like their energy and if they're green or not, and actually get us to a green new deal locally in Arizona and hold corporations accountable. Like you actually can vote for that. That's cool. I want to vote for people to hold corporations accountable in my state. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's so many races out there, but those are the few that we're excited for. And I think it's really important that everybody, I think a lot of people out there are like, look, the Republicans did, you know, I, I feel a little bit like 2016, um, where people are taking this election a little bit for granted, where they're like, oh, abortion was so bad that so many people are going to go out and vote. So many people are going to like be mobilized. And I remember when we thought it was a surefire thing in 2016. And so, you know, if you're listening to this today and you haven't voted, please get out and vote. And if you are in line and the polls close and you're listening to this, you, you have the ability, if you're in line before the polls close, stay in line. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, uh, I can't say that enough. I'm going to, I'm shouting <laughs> it from the rooftops. Um, I, I also will just say that I think, um, you know, one of the points that you made that I think I just want to reiterate here is that people also really should be reminded to vote all the way down the ballot, because whether it's a corporate regulation commission in Arizona, or it's your local water board where you live in California, um, or it's, Uh, you know, your local school board, even, which is such ground zero right now for so many of these, I hate the term culture wars, but what the the major media is calling culture wars around issues of teaching the truth of American history and around issues of whether or not it's like mine who are non-binary or trans can, can play sports. You know, all of that is directly relevant. So please make sure you know who you're voting for and that you're voting all the way down the ballot. Okay. Uh, question for you about, you know, the future of working families, because, you know, we've already talked about like the potential end of the two party system. And, um, I'm wondering, you know, the, again, the growth has been so fascinating to watch and I'm wondering, you know, what your plans are post midterms. And as we head into 2024, where do we expect to see the working families in two years, five years, even 10 years down the road? We are going to continue to find and elect the next generation of progressive candidates. Um, 
that's something that we're, you know, that's been our mission since day one and we will continue that mission. It's really hard to, to always say this because I find that everyone is alarmist all the time. And if you, if you're like the boy, like, you know, the story of the boy who cried wolf, you say it over and over again, but I do think like this midterms today and the next elect presidential election will be two of the most important elections of our lifetimes. Um, and we were already lived through one in 2020. <laughs> um, so, um, um, and look, the far, the, 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 you know, Trump Republicans, extremist Republicans are, you know, they're becoming the mainstream of, of, the, of their party. And, you know, we have to build broad coalitions to defeat fascism. That is what we're looking at. When you start to round people up in the middle of the night and send them to a different state, like what, what's next? Uh, like a camp, uh, you know, I mean, Right. We're already deporting kids. We already have kids in cages, like all of these things. And so it just is the future looks really bleak unless we stop fascism. And it's globally, too. It's not just in the United States, as we've seen with, you know, the, the incoming prime minister of Italy, as we've seen with Viktor Orban in Hungary. Like this is global. This is global scale. What we're facing, which is mostly like, you know, mostly extreme far right, Trumpism, Bolsonaroism, whatever you want to call it, if they're they're all operating by the same playbook, which is saying that like we have to purify a particular race, which is white, but there's white ethnics too around across the, you know, across the globe. We have to, you know, we have to whatever purity tests that they want to do. And people who really say that they're representing working people who are not, who want to give tax breaks to the richest of, of people globally, who want wealth to be, you know, there to be no limit to the amount of wealth that you have, but they claim to represent working people. And they, you know, and they claim to be like, we care about workers when they literally don't give a, excuse me, shit about uh, working people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, so it's it's really imperative that we stop these folks. Um, and then third, I do think that the two-party system, we're going to be ready for the day that we have a different system, a different political system. Um, you know, I dream of the day that we actually have a real viable multi-party system where people can actually join the Working Families Party and elect a series of candidates that represent them and that they can proudly vote on our line without thinking that they're a spoiler or anything like that. So I think that, you know, we're preparing ourselves, um, but we must govern. And it is really important to be able to reach a future where we can battle climate change, where we can do all that. We have to defeat um, extreme Republicans and Trumpism. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's out. And it's just like DeSantis is right there. There are so many people who are right in line who are ready um, and they're you know, they're trying to cater to a multiracial working class. And I think that people don't understand what they're doing when they are actually the only ones who are going to talk in Latinos in certain areas. Right. So we need to do whatever it is in our organizing power to combat that. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I've been having so many conversations in the last couple of weeks about the real need for cross movement and cross identity mobilization against the fascist movement in the United States and around the world, of course, but here right now in this moment, because so much is on the line. And my, you know, one of my biggest fears about where we find ourselves is that if we are fractionalized and divided, and as you pointed out, we don't understand what's happening in Florida, for instance, when the far right goes into predominantly 
Latino communities and advocates and and gaslights and lies in the way that they have been known to do, or for that matter, does it in white working class neighborhoods where they claim to represent white working people. And the reality is that they're not benefiting white working people or any working people whatsoever. 100%. Yeah. Until we have a real understanding of that and we come together across movements and identities, it's going to be harder for us to battle back. So, um, So I really appreciate that point. I think it's really critical for our listeners. So with all that said, tell me a little bit about your own approach to organizing. And, you know, I know a little bit about this because I know, uh, you know, folks at WFP, yourself included, but tell me a little bit about the work that you all do to really mobilize people, um, you know, whether it's for an election or whether it's for a cause or whether it's for a ballot initiative. Yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, we, I mean, we have a very, very local out strategy, um, meaning that like, you're not going to have a one-stop solution that works everywhere, right? Different contexts, different, there's different contexts, different cultural contexts in each of our states. But at the core of what we do in organizing is that we try to meet people where they're at and bring them in on a particular electoral framework, right? There's plenty of issue organizations that are out there that, that run issue campaigns, run legislative campaigns. And we've done that as well. But we primarily want people to join a political home where they feel like they can talk about politics, elections and all of that and actually vote there, like vote to endorse people. Um, So that comes in many different ways. And, you know, in places like in Pennsylvania and New York, we have a chapter based model in California. They have like regional advisory councils. Right. And so different places are different things, because like also you cannot have the same model for California and Pennsylvania. It's just too right. Like California is like 53 million people. Um, So whatever model works, but we just try to meet people where they're at. And we also the thing that I think a lot of people Look, elections are not every four years or every two years on midterms. They're every year. Your school board, your county supervisor, like Wisconsin has one of the most important elections in February, which is for their Supreme Court judges who like everything from criminalization to abortion to like they will be the stop of the line there. And so to not get more people in jail, to actually have a like a, a judicial system that's has justice at its center, right? So we're trying to also get people involved in all those politics and get people more aware because I feel like it is overwhelming, right? We have way too many elections. It's like, you know, like the U, like it's like some countries don't have elections until like they call a snap election or they call it because there's a problem. We have an election literally every year for all different types of offices. So first we meet people where they're at and we work on all types of elections. There's not an election that we won't, you know, work on. We've worked on commit like county commissions. We've worked on, you know, um, town clerks. Like we will do any election from the bottom up. Right. And so I think it's really important. And we organize people based on their excitement for election, but also their issues that they're carrying because of the excitement of the election or because of the issues that they have. So we, you know, and we organize people by having, you know, monthly meetings where we uh, talk to each one another and like get to know each other and like give people WFP values. We have an assem- a national assembly that happens once a month where we have guests um, on who are running for office where they can listen to us. And like, it's like a, it's like a monthly, you know, like a monthly worship service, but it's not necessarily any like religion. It's like for politics. Um, and you know, and I think that we're trying to innovate different ideas and different ways to organize people. Like right now, currently I'm working on organizing real housewives fans through the real housewives of politics. 
Um, and the reality is, is like fandoms are super, super organized in online spaces, all types of fandoms, whether it's gaming, whether it's comic books, whether it's like Disney, like fandoms are where it's at because it's, we have a fandom culture in the United States and we always have, right. From the days of like Tiger beat and like, you know, uh, fan clubs and stuff. Like I signed up, I was on the new kids on the block fan club and I got a letter each month, you know, signed by their fan club president. Like fandoms are really important to organize. And so we're, you know, we're starting to organize fandoms and to see how we can get there because the right wing is short in gaming spaces. I'll tell you that much. Yes. Um, and they're really spread out. So yeah, I feel like we, you know, we take the approach by meeting people where they're at, understanding what the local contexts are, organizing people, how it makes sense on the ground and not just because we have this predisposed, you know, structure. And we're trying to do more innovative stuff like fandom-based organizing and doing cultural organizing, which is a lot of the work that I do with the party. I mean, I think this is this is amazing in part because I have great examples of how WFP has done this where I live. I mean, I could share a quick little story here, but I, I do want to emphasize to everybody because I've been pitching this forever, that local organizing where you live is really honestly one of the most important things you can do, not only politically, but also for your own emotional and physical survival. Um, like even during the pandemic, the sort of local organizing, I think was so key for people in the context of mutual aid. But here in Southern California, WFP's Orange County group um, turned out to be full of parents who were mobilizing in their own individual schools and had never networked across the actual district. And it was through a listserv that was sponsored by Working Families Here that I found a ton of other parents who were doing exactly the same work that I was doing because our values are all the same. But the only way that we got connected was, as you put it, by finding out a home for ourselves politically where we live, where we could actually cross mobilize. And that has resulted in some really serious changes in the way in which our school districts are being run with regard to equity and inclusion and all sorts of issues that really matter to us as a diverse community with like a wide ranging student body. Um, and so that, it's been so helpful. And I think that's just one example of how well working families organizing structure really works to meet people locally. So, um, so more power to that. Um, so thank you also for that, because it's kind of like improved my life individually too. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I, I love to hear those, those stories and I feel like it's important, like, for people to come together also based on like shared needs. Like I think a lot of times organizing people are like, like we gotta like find something. And it's like, people are parents. People are, I don't know, people are like, like I, I, I would love to meet up with a bunch of like progressive dog, you know, like have a dog meetup where our dogs can play together. Cause I'm gonna do it anyway. Right. So it's just like, we don't know, we always, I think a lot of times progressives or people who organize try to like go outside the box and it's like, actually the fundamentals is meeting people where they're at and what their needs are. And so, you know, you have, I mean, you know, if anybody in, in, in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia wants to do a dog meetup, um, <laughs> I'm here, find me on Twitter. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, we're seeing things here too. It's really wild. Just speaking of fandom and kind of like the where people meet up, there are these crafting circles of like women who sit around and do this, who are now going to like the front of the places where they buy their yarn or they buy their craft supplies and just setting up tables to register to vote while they're there knitting. I mean, that kind of creativity that's already pulling people in where they live, I think is just so key. So I love that. All right. Um, we've talked a little bit about why this election matters so much from the standpoint of pushing back against rising far-right fascist movements inside the United States. Um, I, I think it's important for us to also talk about the proactive results that could be achieved if we win 
<laughs> um, you know, like yep. if we if we keep the House, we grow our majority in the Senate. Uh, we add new progressive candidates into the mix. What a difference that's going to make. And, you know, you already mentioned Mandela Barnes, who I adore, but there's, you know, other folks as well who are kind of pushing the agenda in the right direction on a national level. And so tell me a little bit about what you hope to see, assuming that we that we turn out the way that fingers crossed not would. We hope everything turns out after today. Yeah. Um. I mean, look, in my... In the best case scenario, um, we will have flipped a few seats so that we have so that we basically um, make Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema irrelevant. Um, I think it's really, really important to, to name that because, you know, they were obstructionists for two years. We do not have I mean, you know, Joe Biden wanted to pass a full recovery package that included climate but housing and all that stuff and like it got gutted down to climate only which look it's important and like we celebrated the win because we need to also celebrate wins but it's not enough for what we've all faced as a society i mean look at gas prices are rising people are are people are already suffering living paycheck to paycheck and now they're suffering more with a society that's forcing people to birth like that is, you don't have baby formula but you're asking us you're telling us that we should force birth. That's absolutely insane. So I think it really is important to like, you know, I think it's a lot of folks will just be like, oh, it's just the GOP. It's just the GOP. Well, we might've had a lot of wins this year if Democrats stepped up, particularly cinema and Joe Manchin. So please, especially if you're in Wisconsin, North Carolina, Ohio, or Pennsylvania, get out and vote for these Democrats so we can make cinema and mansion irrelevant so we can actually pass and codify, um, you know, the right to abortion and a Women's Health Protection Act so we can actually fund housing since housing has become so expensive. We need more affordable housing that is good and safe so that we can actually tax um, the wealthiest of, of people and corporations because they are making, they are running away with bonuses at the end of the year. We're talking about inflation, but we need to talk about price gouging. These are things that Democrats have put on the table that have not been able to pass because of the two Democratic senators we have who are obstructionists and because of, you know, the failure of, of, of the filibuster. So, um, so I just think it's really important that like we do that. So in my amazing case scenario, Look, in my amazing, and I'm saying this because of what we're facing, like we maybe lose the house, but we win the Senate. Um, and when I say maybe lose the house, it's like a little, you know, maybe by a couple of seats, but that we win statewide in a lot of these places where we need to make sure that like our basic rights are in check. Like we cannot have Doug Mastriano, you know, we cannot have whatever his name, Michaels in, you know, in, in Wisconsin, like we really, really, really need to make sure locally in our state legislators that we are electing people who are going to be on the side of basic rights, like human rights. Like that's literally where we're at right now. Like I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that all these democratic gubernatorial candidates are perfect. They're right. not. Right. A lot of them I disagree with on a lot of issues and also on a basic fundamental human rights. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we agree. And it's not like actually to a point where it's, it's just like, we're going to be round up. Like right. that's like, that's what we're talking about here. So I, so my best case scenario is like, 
we win state legislators, like we win state legislators. We might lose the house because I have to be realistic here and not just like living in a fantasy world, but we win the Senate and it allows us some chances to maybe reform Senate rules and, you know, put stuff in place that we can win in 2024 and beyond. Um, and I just think it's really important to like local momentum to like win state and locally. And there's like yes. a lot of city, city races that are up next year. And so like, let's build that momentum for the next two years. That's my, that's my hope. Um, you know, worst case scenario, we got a lot of bad people in charge of a lot of places. And I think people are like, oh yeah, if it gets worse then maybe, you know, it, that makes apathy grow. Yes. It makes people sit on the sidelines. Cause they're like, I can't, there's too much going on. So yeah, I'm hoping that we don't have that scenario. Uh, me too. Me too. Also because it costs lives. And that to me is just yes. sort of the the thing that I'm I'm the most concerned about from the standpoint of where we might end up. So my hope is we squeak by in the house, you know. I mean, I do think that the youth mobilization folks that I'm talking to seem to think that we've underestimated the the potential for youth turnout and the potential for new voter turnout. And of course, we have the recent events in Kansas to kind of give us a little bit of hope. But uh, but I guess we'll know by the end of tonight or maybe tomorrow. Um, all right. So um, I'm going to ask you our usual three questions for all of our guests. Um, the first is what keeps you going? Ooh, that's a good one. What keeps me going is also knowing that like, there are so many people out there who aren't organized and like, who are, who agree. Like that's the, what keeps me going is that there is in a sense, a united working class that is united in this terms of like, they understand the basics of what's right and wrong for workers. And I'm like, if we could just, if we could just all, you know, just get together and it'll like, as we hope, that's what keeps me going. That's great. All right. Um, we've touched upon this a little bit, but what are your most pressing concerns about the state of America and the world right now? Yeah, I mean, it really is fascism. Um, yeah. I don't use that word lightly. I've never actually, like even in 2016 or 2020, like I would call Trump an authoritarian, like all this stuff. But once we saw what transpired during the pandemic, yes. to be honest, that's when I was like, oh, this guy's a fascist. Yes. And, you know, for folks out there, everybody's like, oh, well, like they're not the same way as Hitler. Well, here's the thing about political ideologies and terms is that it'll change every, it'll change like, for a new, right? Like the monarchy is not the same monarchy it was in the 1800s. I mean, I don't, I could give two shits less about the monarchy to be quite frank as somebody who's like, my dad was a, you know, yes. was a colonial subject. Yes. Like, you know, when he was his first like 15 years of his life. Um, so like the, the country of Belize is younger than my dad um, by like lots of years. <laughs> so, um, so for me, I, so, but the monarchy is different, right? It doesn't, it, monarchies across the world are different because there's just no place where a king and queen really reign in the same way as you used to, where you also reigned this whole thing. So fascists are not the same either. Viktor Orban is a fascist. If you went to Budapest, I often go to Hungary. Um, I've been going to Hungary since 2017. Um, so I've seen, you know, the changes in dynamics. I've trained people over there to get out the vote. Um, and you know, I walk down the streets of Budapest. I'm just like, I'm in a, I'm in a tourist city, right? It's not like you're seeing, it is not like you see it on a day-to-day -day basis. But when you hear about the stories, when you hear that their work week, they do not have like a work week anymore. That is like, that they're guaranteed to and that they have rights to, right? When you, when you see that there are laws that are basically 
Like they're paying families and women to have more Hungarian pure children. They built a fence around the entire country, right? When you see those things and you realize how people's lives are lived, then you're like, oh, wow, this is a fascist place, right? And so I think it's, I am really concerned by the amount of fascism, especially in places like when I see Italy that has a history of anti-fascism, literally the song Bella Ciao, for all of you don't know, no, it's not from that TV show, Money Heist. It is actually a anti-fascist song. And it's like, you know, the La Montaña, Bella Ciao. It's like literally go, saying, I'm going up the mountain to fight the fascists. I hear them coming. We're going to sing Bella Ciao, Bella Ciao, Bella Ciao, Ciao. Like, bye, right? Like, and you see these things, that's when it, that's when it's concerning. When you see people in countries that had fascism up until the seventies, like Spain have a rising fascist movement. When you see the AFD in Germany, which is literally the new Nazi party get 5% of the vote. So that means that they cleared a threshold for government funding. That's when we should be scared. And that has been happening across the world. Um, and so we have had hope as well, right? We see the Chileans who have who fought for a new constitution, didn't get the constitution, but still got a lot of people in government. Colombia with their new government. You see, um, you know, after everything that Bolivia went through, like Evo Morales' party is back in power, right? So there is like the push and pull globally, but I really, I have such a deep fear. Like, it's like a cry, like it makes me really cry of like, where we're going um, with fascism in the United States and globally. Like it's not, and part of it is because we have not addressed people's economic means. So they are able to blame like, and, it, and it's, it's every party in the United, in the world's fault. And it's the Democrats and Republicans fault that like the Democrats don't talk about class enough. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans, they talk about it all the time, but they blame people like me, people like my family, immigrants, women, you know, take a, fu- you know, yeah. LGBTQ community, whatever they can. Jewish folks now, because anti-Semitism is on the rise, right? They are blaming everybody for the fact that nobody wants to hold corporations and rich people accountable. Yeah. I mean, I have to say it's just, to me, I think it's almost like folks are waiting for things that they can recognize as historically significant rather than paying attention to the slow slippage. Like I was watching TV just this morning while I was getting ready to talk to you. And there was a piece about like, oh, this is a Reichstag moment. Oh, this is a Reichstag moment. And I'm like, why wasn't it the moment when Stephen Miller recommended that detention camps separate parents and children who were coming across the border seeking asylum? Why wasn't it you know, if that's not, if that wasn't enough to wake you up, what about the moment where Ron DeSantis flew a plane to another state, rounded people up and dropped them somewhere like relocation programs are fascism. And he had a relocation program planned for a year. So people need to get really real that it's already here. And the question now is about how we organize to push back and hopefully save American democracy from the direction that we're heading, which is why you should go vote and stay in line. Okay. Last question for today. Um, What's your opinion on how our audience can best work to push back on all of this? I mean, obviously I would like to see, I I should make a recommendation. I am a Working Families Party member. I am a monthly donor to Working Families Party. I I believe so heartily in everything that they stand for and um, you should do the same. Uh, But tell me, like, what, what should people be doing where they live right now? 
100%. Well, I mean, today, go vote, please. Yes, yes, <laughs> go vote. <laughs> go vote. I, even if you're like, oh my God, I forgot. I don't care. You got to cancel plans with somebody. You got to, I don't care. Make your way onto the, the polling, please. Um, two, I would always say join an organization. Um, um, any organization. Obviously, I love joining. I love the pitch that you just made for the Working Families Party. I love the Working Families Party. If you do not have a Working Families Party and you... Locally, you could still join us. You could always text WFP to 30403. Um, but join an organization locally. Um, there are lots of them that people that may not have Instagram or Twitter or anything. They might have a Facebook group. Look for it there. And last but not least, I would just say that it is critical that everybody out there supports everyone's rights, but go out there and support a picket line. There, We are at the biggest moment of labor movement that we've seen in our lifetimes. 70% of young people want to join a labor union, which is insane. Like labor unions had the lowest approval rating my entire, like, you know, formative years. And the fact that labor unions, and we really must hold corporate America accountable. And the only way we're going to do that is if those bases get unionized. So whether it's your Home Depot, your Apple stores, your Starbucks workers, go support them in what they see fit. They always have ways that the public can support. It's not just you choosing that you're not going to go there. Some people like Starbucks, they want you to go and say hi and tell them that you support their union and then tell their manager, right? So go and support find they're happening across the country a union the first apple store in oklahoma unionized the other week so it is happening everywhere across this nation and it's beautiful so please support workers and organizing unions in their workplace an absolutely phenomenal note to end on many many thanks to nalini stamp for joining us today she is the director of strategy and partnerships for the working families party and you've heard us say it probably a hundred times so far today but please go vote and stay in line if you are in line to vote listening to this this election has uh not to put too fine a point on it so much on the line for the future of this country so thank you nalini for being here for this episode thank you so much I want to thank Nalini Stamp from the Working Families Party for being our guest today. Woo! We got a lot to think about and a lot of work to do in this country. And it starts today if you haven't been doing it already. We've got a roadmap to a better future. I hope that you've been listening to all of our episodes over the last six weeks because we've talked to so many people who are here to change the world for the better. Let's hope that this election day goes the way that we want it to. Please do your part. I know we've said it so many times on today's episode, but please vote. Ask your neighbors if they have voted. If you are listening to this early in the day, make some phone calls to make sure your friends and family know where they're going to vote and that they have voted. This election is a make or break moment. Let's get it done. Thanks for being here. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. If you want to know more about me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, head on over to GaiaLeadershipProject.com, where you can check out all our in-person and virtual leadership programs for folks who want to create change at work, at home, and in the world. You can also read my essays on politics, law, and change at newsletterwithecm.substack.com. And last, but definitely not least, you can listen to all our episodes of Living Through It ad-free over on Patreon at patreon.com slash living through it. That's patreon.com slash living through it. Thanks for listening and see you next week.